on FM, on DAB, and up to date on social media. We are Radio Newark. Radio Newark. Vanessa Carlton there at a thousand miles. And we have our guest Rosalind Palmer in the studio with us right now. And I was saying that I thought that that was quite an apt record because Rosalind has been a thousand miles several times on her on her route to the studio, but that wasn't quite this morning. That's kind of over her life story, um, which we will be finding out more about over the next ooh, hour and ten minutes or so through the rest of the show. So good morning, Rosalind. Good morning. How are you? Oh, excellent. Thank you. Very good, good to see you. And good morning to your friend. Yes. Hi. Is it Glynis? Is that right? Glenis, yes. Glenis. From Ireland. From, all the way from Ireland. How fantastic. We might Who knows even... Graham Norton, we've just discovered. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, we might be getting There's Glenis on the mic interview. later. <laughs> yes. On, on a soul. She's, she's a no, no, no. She's escaping back to Cork very shortly. <laughs> oh, bless us. So, <laughs> Rosalind, you are now a Newark lady, but you've only been a Newark lady since October. Mm-hmm. So, tell us, tell us a little bit about what you're doing here in Newark. So I live right by the river and that was one of the primary reasons I moved here because I just adored the water and adored the river. Um, I missed, because I'd lived in London for many years, the vibrancy of somewhere that was more exciting because I was living in Loudham and no offence to anybody from Loudham but it's a much quieter village um, and also because I was in London quite a lot because I did quite a lot of training in London and you've got the high speed train links so suddenly I had a aha moment of this would be a really great place to live and it actually is I, I really I, I think the tourist department should actually have me on commission because I'm, I'm literally telling everybody and all my London friends are going oh it's amazing we could even commute um, so I love it and I'm a rapid transformational therapist so it's a form of um, clinical hypnotherapy that's more of an amalgam with um, hypnotherapy NLP psychotherapy it's a, a hybrid therapy that was developed in the last few years and I also train people in it Wow. Now, you, um, if I'm right in thinking, you operate here in Newark at uh, Balance. I do do indeed, yes. So I work out of Balance Studios, right opposite Morrison's. Um, And I I love Pilates and yoga. And um, immediately when I moved to Newark, I was recommended to go there. And I really hit it off with Philippa Burnett, who owns the studio. And we've just been away together to an amazing event called A-Fest in Ibiza. And Philippa's come back and she's now training as a rapid transformational therapist. So um, we'll be creating a balanced therapy effectively. So there'll be two of us trained in this really world-beating therapy here in Newark, which actually will be a pretty amazing thing. Wow. Well, we shall learn more about that um, in just a moment. Polymers and unpredictable. Do you know, I love the way we get records in our playlist that just seem to fit with whatever we're talking about. Um, Because our guest, Rosalind Palmer, 
today has had something of an unpredictable um, <laughs> life. But we'll, like, we'll find out more about that in the second hour of the show because, first of all, we're going to just find out a little bit more about what Rosalind is now doing here in Newark on the kind of therapeutic side of things. So tell us a bit more about the... Um, uh, we were talking about psychosexual therapy a minute ago. Yes. Um, so um, without going into too much detail... Absolutely. Um, but, yeah. Um, but tell us a, a little more. So um, <clears throat> I'm obviously trained to deal with any um, type of issue and because I also train other people I, I've studied a lot there's probably not a presenting issue that I couldn't deal with um, because obviously the tools of rapid transformational therapy are the same but in terms of understanding I suppose my go-to areas are as you said psychosexual issues uh, relationship issues um, I'm just going through my second divorce so I like to feel that um, I've had quite a lot of training in that area um, certainly on not what to do in some areas which is you know really helpful for other people and I've actually just been away on a whole course on love and relationships where the leading experts in the world such as people like Esther Perez whose YouTube videos had 10 million views I believe and she was one of the workshops I went to so um, definitely those areas I really do phenomenal results with people who are look like they have it all going on so the kind of really on the outside successful executives who have the big house who maybe have a couple of businesses um, recently I dealt with a man he even had a string of racehorses helicopter um, the people who look like they've got it all going on and they're juggling all those plates really well but behind the scenes they're paying a very high price for it um, which often will come out in maybe an addictive behavior such as you know they get home and literally drink an entire bottle of Chardonnay before they've had their supper or they're just very um, not at one with themselves they feel like they're wearing a mask all the time and they have to put that mask on every day and when they get home they feel empty and spent and is this my life I can't get off this merry-go-round and the reason I'm so good at that is that was my life <laughs> for quite some time um, in the 90s when I looked like I had it all going on and I'd be having all sorts of therapy and one day one of them said to me we just feel like we're sticking plasters holding you together and so it looked really good on the outside and I was very high functioning and, and managed to run a very successful business and do all sorts of things but inside I was very 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 unhappy and sad and and I feel it's a shame that people feel that they have to compromise their lives um, everything is available you can be successful and happy um, and obviously lots of other issues such as weight or food issues I myself was bulimic for a year back in the 90s um, my husband didn't even notice <laughs> um, you know so I, I deal with a lot of people who have food issues and, and I just think that I'm a really great therapist because um, I've been so broken <laughs> in the past and I've had to fix myself and reinvent myself and find out what's true and find out what's real and find out what works over and over again so I'm very empathetic well I think that's that's one of the things isn't it that, that actually does make for a good therapist is the fact that you have had that experience you've come out the other side you've learned you've got the tools you've got the resources you've learned how to deal with it but you have that ability to know where your client is at that's right that's absolutely right and 
I trained with Marissa Peer and Marissa before creating her own um, rapid transformational therapy school all her clients were A-listers so they were all you know in fact she doesn't even mention the names but I've known her for 22 years so I know and I can without a shadow of a doubt say we are talking the who's who of A-listers but let's look at A-listers Amy Winehouse etc they're often very unhappy they're absolutely well, this is the second hour of Girls Around Town here on Radio Newark. I'm Sue Jackson and Tina Betterson is with me in the studio. And we're also joined by our guest, Rosalind Palmer. And uh, we were chatting to her before the news, but um, we're going to learn much more about everything, I'm quite sure, in the next 40, 50 minutes or so. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Can I just mention something? Um, I think in the earlier section, it was said that I'd had an interesting life. I'd just like to say I'm having, having. an interesting <laughs> life. Still lots more of it to go. <laughs> had one up till now, and then it's... Yes. Well, when you've, when you've had such an interesting start for the first few years um then you know it can only get better really can't it that's right no absolutely yeah no absolutely and um and i suppose it's what i was talking about just before um we broke which is you know things such as having been married and you know and it not working it's fine as long as you learn from it as long as you really kind of look at yourself you know and you don't get caught in some groundhog day <laughs> you know where people keep repeating the pattern um you know i used to have a sign at the side of my desk that actually said i've learned so much from my mistakes i think i'll make another <laughs> and um you know I, I whilst i'm not actually advocating it necessarily as your life strategy um you know we're all it's interesting the song you know nobody's perfect nobody's a perfect 10 nobody's a perfect anything we're all imperfectly perfect and you know we're all trying to navigate this human existence and particularly with relationships i very much learned on the course i was just on that um you know to navigate uh, a relationship over a long period of time you know two imperfect beings you know takes some doing you know there's quite a lot of heavy lifting and reinventing that goes on there and esther perel who as i mentioned earlier i went to her workshop she said something very interesting and she said that because of course demographics have changed and you know a couple of centuries ago marriage was not for love it was for property it was for procreation um and people didn't live very long you know so you you were married you had the kids you retired and maybe you died a few years after retiring and now you have women such as myself the baby boomers who you know we're in our 50s and you know we could live another 50 years and so people look at their lives and think you know i suppose is this as good as it gets <laughs> well i think too picking up on that point about being you know in the baby boomer sort of era and being in your 50s i think now whereas maybe in our mother's generation you know the 50s was kind of the point at which they started to wind down towards retirement or maybe start doing things maybe start doing things for themselves but it might have been volunteering or Mm. um and so on and and obviously quite a few women did kind of start up their own businesses and so on then but i think now even more so we kind of hit 50 and it's kind of this isn't this is just a new beginning absolutely you know we've got totally i mean i i feel this you know right now it's kind of like i'm only just getting started i the, know this first sort of 50 years was just practice and now <laughs> now it's time and as long as you've learned from that practice mm. it's really i mean it's unprecedented i mean one of the 
things I did prior to becoming the therapist and I still do work for some charities so I was head of an international charity for five years and then worked for them as a consultant which was the leprosy mission and arguably people with leprosy and particularly women with leprosy are probably the most persecuted women in the world they even come below the untouchables in India they're lower mm. than the untouchables they there's there's actually laws in many countries that openly will discriminate against people with leprosy they don't they can't even get on public transport etc so we're talking about some really persecuted people but the charity I worked for I did a two-year study into the baby boomers because clearly they're the donors of the future and I belong to an organization called the Mature Marketing Association which you know doesn't mean I'm a mature marketer although I probably am but <laughs> it's, it's marketing actually, to the mature it is marketing to the mature that's right and and people are only just waking up to the vast potential of that market. I mean, the, the biggest sales of um, Harley Davidsons are to the over 50s. Um, there are some bad things, such as the highest rate now of venereal diseases above the 50s as well, because unfortunately, <laughs> people are back out there and dating and forgetting that it's not 1980 anymore and um, have maybe not been dating for quite some time and need to actually understand some of the rules of that but um, self-actualization amongst that organization uh, that age group I mean when I turned 50 I got the saga catalog and the innovation catalog now I do not want velcro shoes no offense to velcro shoes but you know, I got my second tattoo last year. I mean, I'm my second divorce, but you know, not <laughs> they weren't linked necessarily. Well, the, the second's quite an expensive hobby, which I'm, I'm I'm moving beyond. Hence, doing so much heavy lifting about love and relationships, so that I can a be a good therapist and b you know really have an amazing relationship going forward. Because you know, here's the deal. Um, I've got 40 years ahead of me, 50 years ahead of me, and I want to have a phenomenal relationship with somebody, you know, and, and, and really come to that and, and, you know, be vulnerable, be open, but equally know what I will and won't compromise about. And, and one's values is so important and knowing who you are is so important. And women have never, and men, but women particularly, have never known who they were, particularly in the 50s, like mm. ever before. I mean, we are, you know, we rock, basically. <laughs> we do. We do. <laughs> we certainly rock every Sunday morning, don't we? <laughs> Depending on what's on the playlist or otherwise. Yes. But now, Rosalind, something I wanted to ask you was, was um, you touched on, uh, just before we the news, you touched on this notion that you were that kind of high-flying exec but empty on the inside can you tell us a little bit about what you were doing in your in your life you know your business at that time um, and what you were doing that um kind of led to that hmm. burnout so i fell into pr when i did my degree it was english literature which was the nearest you could get if you liked words there were no pr degrees we didn't even know what pr was and a friend of mine went to work for a theatrical production company in London as a PA and rang me one day and went, he's just fired his PR and he wants one. Do you want it? And I was like, yeah, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I went for the interview and got the job um, and found myself promoting West End theatre shows and touring productions and suddenly in this world um, doing all the flyers, all the marketing, the press releases, all the press work, doing the photo calls 
um, which I loved, you know, because I'd just done an English degree. And then I went to work for a publishing company who published nearly all the theatre programmes in England. So when you used to sit down in the theatre and you'd read that blurb in the middle about the play, I would have written it. Um, and I published a magazine called Amateur Stage, and I loved theatre, I loved that world. But then I got made redundant, the first of three times in my career, and I thought, wow, I better do something like in a proper PR company because they were emerging. And my former boss said, go and work for Lynn Franks. Um, it won't be fun, but you'll be able to work anywhere after it. And of course, that's what the programme Absolutely Fabulous is based on. And I was there at the height of, the, of that world. In fact, I now lecture on it at Nottingham Trent University. Um, my second day, they went, could you come in early? Because you're going on the Orient Express to launch Swatch Watchers. It was like, okay. <laughs> and, um, and then, and very interestingly, there were 40 odd of us and three of us had degrees. Now you wouldn't get into PR without a really good degree. And they went, oh, you're, you're the clever department. You can have not fashion. Because she had everybody. She had John Paul Gautier, John Galliano, everybody. Um, in fact, Lenny Henry, and that's why Jennifer Saunders came into the office, and that's where she penned Absolutely Fabulous by watching it, what was going on. So we got the not fashion, but it was great. So I got interesting little things like Ronnie Wood's art exhibition with the Rolling Stones, fundraising for the London Lighthouse AIDS Hospice with Daniel Day-Lewis who just won an Oscar for my left foot and this was my world this was my reality but we worked 80 hour weeks we didn't get paid very much I had three weeks holiday a year and I burnt out pretty quickly um, I had to have a tonsillectomy at 26 because already my immune system was going <laughs> I don't really like this because we were working hard and partying hard I mean I used to go to the wag club and boy george would be there and you know we were living in that world it wasn't quite wolf of wall street um but it was kind of close um but it was it was fun but it was exhausting so anyway on the back of that i went into marketing worked for a marketing company got made redundant again ended up as an advertising agency and then thought right i'm, I'm fed up with this being very redundant i'm going to form my own pr company and that's what i did we're talking to transformational therapist Rosalind Palmer and I think we just got to the point where you started your own PR company. That's correct so yeah back in the early 90s when um, there was a recession and uh, a lot of people including myself at that time had been made redundant so I negotiated with a couple of clients from the agency I'd been to give me six months contracts and with my redundancy package I, I worked out I'd already got a year's money so I felt, well, what is there to lose? And actually, I come from an entrepreneurial background. I mean, I, I was born in Daybrook um, in Nottinghamshire, and I lived above the shop until they pulled the street down. How rude. Um, <laughs> back in the uh, sort of mid-60s. Uh, so where I lived was where the uh, healthcare centre in Daybrook is now, opposite Wicks on ah. Mansfield Road. And interestingly, I ended up going there um, for a reason a while back. And on the walls in that healthcare centre are old black and white pictures. And there's a picture of my grandma and my father doing the Jubilee party on the road that used to stand exactly in that place. So, oh, fabulous. You know, um, like somebody who won't be mentioned, uh, Margaret Thatcher, um, I was obviously a grocer's daughter and lived above the shop. So being an entrepreneur or being in business literally, I think, was 
in my DNA and so um, starting the agency for me was a very natural move and I already had this well I've got a year's worth of money um, we started in I was married at the time started in spare bedroom um, my member of staff was my basset hound Rosie um, uh, my husband then was a trained accountant so he did all the behind the scenes stuff and then we got a part-time member of staff and who wasn't a basset hound I'm guessing no she was a real person Anne who I'm still great friends with today and who will listen to this on catch up so hi Anne uh, who lives in London and um, there we went and I went from my £5,000 investment to selling my company nine years later when we had a £1.1 million turnover which sounds great um, and many parts of it were and I'm very proud of it and I won't put it down but boy the price I paid during those nine years so we went from really just it being exciting and this was back in the days when you sent press releases out on paper and I just remember you know every evening would be on our hands and knees stapling press releases together and then posting them out the next day and you know it was exciting it was like what do we have to lose and we went from that and very soon I fell in um to becoming the go-to PR person for a lot of personal development people so I was very interested in personal development and I'd been told about Tony Robbins um, and I went on one of his courses and thought wow this is amazing and we did a fire walk and it was all incredible it was like nothing I'd ever come across before and I thought I want to do his PR that's that's what I need I need his PR so I literally manifested it I ended up being right next to him in a meeting and I'd already written on a piece of paper your PR in England is terrible I need to do your PR and a week later I got this call from America going Mr. Robbins would like you to do his PR so I ended up doing his PR I ended up doing the whole of Mastery University I went all over the states doing it I ended up training in NLP with Richard Bandler and Paul McKenna so I did hypnotherapy or hypnotism then I ended up working for people like Edward de Bono who invented lateral thinking so it was really interesting these people were my clients so you have to to be a good PR person and you have to really understand what your client does um, and then I had many other clients but then we started to hit the big time so we went on a 10-way pitch list is what they call the wild card for air miles part of BA's um, obviously their loyalty program and at the time my business turnover was a quarter of a million pounds and the account was worth a quarter of a million <laughs> so it was a bit scary in fact that's when I went to Hemeris Pier because I was so terrified about the money and about what it would do to my life and was I worthy and I had some really limiting beliefs about money which I didn't consciously know i.e if you have a lot of money you won't be a nice person um, if you have a lot of money you will pay for it with your health because I'd seen my father have migraines pretty much every Sunday and ironically I sort of did buy into the second one because I thought I'd dodged a bullet when I sold the agency but the breast cancer turned up two years later um, but I got over those limiting beliefs and I remember doing the pitch that every time I saw the quarter of a million it was so nervous that I just took Tipex out and took the last naught off every page <laughs> and, when, and when we put the proposal together I did it all without an extra naught and then we sent it in and we won the account so immediately we, we doubled our turnover and then we won McCain's which are the frozen food people chips mm -hmm. you can't believe how much money is in potatoes um, and that was worth half a million um, so you know we went up 
very rapidly and it looked great. We won Best PR Agency for our size in England in 1998. I was runner-up in the Women Into Business Awards. Um, it looked amazing. I had an eight-bedroom house in London. I had a driver, but I had never been able to conceive. And it made me very sad when I trained as a hypnotherapist that I'd tried everything to conceive. And I didn't realize that the one thing that wouldn't let me get pregnant was my mind because my mind and my body were going, you can barely get through the day. You know, you do 80, 90, 100 hour weeks and PR's difficult because there's a lot of whining and dining and it looks great, but you know, you're kind of on it all the time. My mind and body were going, are you kidding? You know, you're gonna have a baby? Um, and when I realized that, when I trained two years ago, I sobbed because I thought that was why I could never have a baby. As it was, I adopted, so that was a different story. But um, I was always paying a price. Every week I was seeing an Ayurvedic doctor. I went for um, acupuncture. I had a massage therapist who came round. Um, I, I was healthy in terms of I was pretty much vegetarian and, you know, I watched what I ate. I drank too much. It was part of the territory. It was the 90s, you know, entertaining was done and journalists and people. Yeah, I remember <laughs> some of those boozy lunches. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it, it went with the territory. Pouring the client onto the train so they could get <laughs> yes, home. Yes, exactly. Hoping it, they'd actually wake up at their stop. Uh, yes. <laughs> Sometimes they didn't and you get a phone call. Um, so... It looked great, um, but I was very, very, very unhappy for reasons that I've mentioned. You know, why can't I get pregnant? And and it was a, it was a really painful path because I'd do something and I'd go and see somebody and everybody would go, oh, I have so much success with this. You know, if you have this acupuncture, if you have this, I mean, I did. Oh my, I did past life regression. I did a, a flotation tank. I mean, I didn't do a, a kind of yurt up a hill. I think I drew the line at that. But, you know, I tried pretty much everything and it never worked. And then even when I adopted my first child, so many people went, oh, you know what? You'll get pregnant now. Because I had what was called undiagnosed, unspecific infertility, which is actually almost the worst. Because when you can't give it a label, you don't know how to fix it. Mm. I mean, I do now. Um, I absolutely do now. In fact, um, infertility or, or IVF treatment, Marissa has a kind of an 80% success rate and we're all taught in that. So, But it was hard at the time and I definitely was just, as I said before, being held together. Thank God I was doing all those things um, because I don't think I'd be here today, to be honest. So when you sold the PR business... Mm -hmm. Um, what prompted you to do that? I can tell you exactly what prompted me to do it. Um, my eldest son, who I'd adopted, and going through the adoption process was awful. Um, and so we'd really bought into it. I realised one week I had not seen him awake for a week. Yeah. I came home, I remember standing in his bedroom and looking at him, and actually, in my mind, it was a Friday, thinking the last time I saw him awake was Monday morning. Um, because That's I not was, good, really, is it? No, 
because I was getting up at six, I was going to the gym, I had a personal trainer, I would have a breakfast meeting most days, um, then I'd go into the office, then I'd have a lunch meeting, then I'd work till maybe seven, and then often they'd be entertaining in the evening. And I just thought, I can't do this. This is absolutely ridiculous. This isn't what life is about. I can't do it. We have to get off this merry-go-round. And I felt that I couldn't because, you know, big house equals big mortgage. Mm. Um, I had 21 members of staff. Um, I felt, you know, my husband worked with me in the business. I felt totally responsible. I would literally lie awake at night in bed thinking, I can't get off this merry-go-round. What will all these people do? They all depend on me. How will we keep this house? But that moment, that aha moment, I just thought, I have to get off this merry-go-round. And so that's when we sold the business. Cue a bit of music, I think. Have we got a bit of music to play? No. <laughs> okay. It was going so well, I deleted it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, don't worry. We'll, we'll carry on then. <laughs> we'll carry on. I just thought a moment of pause there. So, so you sold the business. Yes. How did you end up in the Bahamas? So my um, former husband, um, his family lived in the Bahamas. Um, they moved there in the late 60s. His father was um, head of a big international company. I mean, he was actually German by birth um, and English by his passport, but he'd grown up all over Europe. And he, they moved to the Bahamas in the late 60s, which was an interesting time. <laughs> um, I've seen pictures of it, you know, people being served drinks on silver platters, mm, people wearing white gloves. It was all a bit weird. And that was before independence that came in the early 70s. And so we'd visited there a lot. In fact, I had my, my honeymoon there in 1989. Um, and his father died of a heart attack and he had a very big business in the Bahamas he had about 120 employees and we were literally doing what next so we've sold the business <laughs> what next and I was like well actually I'd quite like not to work ever again if that's okay I'd like to have a really long time and we just adopted our second child and I felt I deserved not to work I felt you know I've 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 put that in let's you know let's just do something else who knows and so um because of him dying my husband was literally commuting to the bahamas to try and take care of the company and it was going to be sold and we just thought well let's move there and it was supposed to be for a year and it turned into five but that's a different story altogether <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. so let's fast forward a bit then you come back from the bahamas yes now because where you were t talking talking a while ago about being on divorce number two so i'm That's guessing right. the, that somewhere around the point of the coming back from the bahamas probably heralded divorce number one did it yes that's why i came back so um we lived in nassau for three years which is the capital and that was okay um but then i had a really phenomenally difficult 18 months starting with my father having a stroke on my birthday and so off I go on a plane to the city hospital in Nottingham my father's there he's very depressed um, it, it's a bad stroke but he comes through I'm very close or was very close to my parents um, fly back to the Bahamas um, have the children who you know were actually quite um, challenging uh, I adopted older children, but I'm, I'm not going to discuss that on the programme now, but, um, you know, I adopted 
two children who were nearly five at the time I adopted both of them. And then I start to not feel so well. And I was, um, I only weighed seven stone at the time, bulimic, I think I'd mentioned earlier. Mm. I was going to the gym three hours a day and I was vegetarian and I thought I looked great. I look at pictures of myself now and maybe not. Oh, Jill um, would have something to say about that. <laughs> that's <she>? right. Um, <laughs> because I'd had dengue fever, so which is like malaria, and I'd lost 24 pounds. The dengue diet, as I like to refer to it, uh, <laughs> not but to not be recommended, actually I'm a very healthy diet to be recommended to anybody listening. But I went from being a sort of a size 12 to like being a size four or six, and I I liked it. And at the time, there was a lot of pressure on people to be very thin. You know, it was that time mm. of the size zero supermodel looks great, and I suddenly I'm like, hey, this is really cool. But I started to feel really not well, and I realised my immune system was very compromised. I had a well woman check because we had insurance, had a mammogram, got the all clear, but I just knew there was something wrong. I wasn't enough in touch with my body. I was in the shower three weeks later. It was as if my fingers just went there. There's a great big lump in my um, in my right breast. So I'm at the doctor's the next day. The next day I go for an ultrasound. I get off the bed. The woman, the Bahamians can be quite dramatic, burst into tears and hugged me and went, live every day like it's your last. And I thought, maybe this isn't a cyst. <laughs> I hadn't even taken anybody to the hospital with me. And I'm like, it was that moment when you think, oh, that's not good. And they go, could you come for a biopsy tomorrow? I'm like, that's not good. Anyway, three days later, I find out, well, I got the results very quickly that I had invasive lobular carcinoma, which is actually a very fast-growing form of breast cancer. So from diagnosis to being on the operating table in America, because I, we did a lot of research, was three weeks. Um, and then, well, I'll, I'll carry on, but then six months later, my mum got terminal pancreatic cancer. So Ooh, this 18-month this period was mm. not great. And we moved to a very remote island for me to get better. We lived on the land and the sea. I lived on a 10-acre organic farm on a pink sand beach with a 1,000 palm trees. And it was actually phenomenally spiritual and wonderful time, um, which I loved. Um, but so much happened to fracture my life that I couldn't stay married because it made me literally look at everything through a new lens and what I realized was was that we'd had 10 good years but actually the life we thought we were having or had tried to move beyond the parameters to have wasn't working anymore. So we're um, talking with Rosalind Palmer we've been we've kind of had quite a bit of, of life history and there's so much more we could talk about but we're running out of time to do that so let's fast forward a bit Rosalind and talk about the um, the PRs that you were then doing with charities because that's hmm. kind of come after you've come back from the Bahamas that's isn't right it? yeah so I worked briefly with um, well not briefly for a few years for a company called Go Mad Thinking uh, who have um, you know their business development and consultancy and training so that fit with those days when I'd worked for all those personal development people um, but then I really felt like I wanted to give something back and when I had the breast cancer I'd been given a book called Pain the Gift Nobody Wants by a guy called Philip Yancey and it's really about leprosy um, because the problem with leprosy is you don't have pain and so 
contrary to belief, things don't just kind of drop off. But, you know, what happens is people will be out in a field with a machete and if you don't have any sensation in your hand, guess what happens? Or they'll be walking barefoot and they get a nail in their foot but they don't notice for a day. And by the time they notice, you know, they've got septicemia or ulcers or they usually have to have their foot amputated. So um, I had a heart for it and... I went on an online job forum. I hadn't applied for a job, I think, at that point um, since about 1989. And um, I just typed in these parameters going, head of marketing, charity, 50-mile radius of where I was living at the time in Loudoun, and up pops the leprosy mission. Um, I applied on the Friday. I was phoned on the Monday. I think I had the job by the following Wednesday. And... It was an amazing journey, um, you know, not just to be able to help develop a charity that had never had a head of marketing before, but also to work and represent some of the world's most marginalised people. And one of the things I did was deal with all the VIPs, you know, because you have patrons and vice presidents, etc. So I've made two very interesting trips um, with Anne Widdicombe, um, who um, I've got to know very well. And uh, we had a particularly interesting trip to Ethiopia where we both had food poisoning so badly that um, I had to minister to her on a seven-hour, not very nice bus journey. And I ended up in hospital <laughs> with her then demanding I left hospital and travel seven hours back while semi-unconscious because I'd actually fainted and hit my head. Um, yeah, so it was very bonding. <laughs> <laughs> I could well bother with Anne Widdicombe. Uh, well, what more can you say, really? Shall I just play some music? I think you should. I think this is a girl like you from Edwin Collins. So, nearly out of time, but just uh, wrapping up with, with Rosalind. So, you you are now writing a book. That's correct. So, is this a book, a, a memoir type book, or is this more of a, a kind of a self-help type book, or kind of a bit of both? It's probably a bit of both. Um so many times people have said to me oh you should write a book about your life and I'm like well nobody would want to read it um, and that's not entirely true but um, what it is is obviously as a therapist now and all the training I've done and all the personal development work I've done recently particularly with going to things like Lifebook and A-Fest um, which I'm happy to talk about at another time I really feel I help people, we take people out of pain and, and I use my own examples of things that have happened in my life because not only to be empathetic and create rapport but because you know it's like look you can do it, you can come through some really difficult life changing events like happened to me with my parents and the cancer and the, the divorce and you know moving, moving away from a country I'd lived in and literally having to start again. Um, and I've done that a couple of times and, and, and actually, you know, I suppose the what doesn't kill you makes you stronger but I want to help people and so it will be, and I've already been on a weekend residential with a company called A Book Midwife so I'm going to be giving birth Oh dear Mindy, I know her well Yes, <laughs> so that's who I'm working with so I'm going to be giving birth to a book later in the year and it will be, effectively, you can get your life back um, because I can say that with absolute congruency because I have done it several times and now it makes me a great therapist and I help other people so it will be semi-autobiographical but it will be effectively a self-help group and self-help book and the person I see as my absolute target audience is that baby boomer 
woman particularly, um, often in the squeezed middle, somebody who's trying to juggle their parents, elderly parents, their kids, maybe their kids' kids, their own life, their relationship, trying to look great, all the pressure. Um, I want to really, really give that woman all the benefit of my life and my experience to make her have an absolutely awesome next 30 or 40 years. Wow. Well, we'll look forward to that, won't we, Sue? We will indeed. We might be needing it. <laughs> for sure. Rosalind, thank you so much for coming in You're today welcome. and thank sharing you. your story. I, I only wish we could have had um, about another, another hour. Yeah. 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 This is when we needed that three hour show we yes. used to have, wasn't it? We could <laughs> carry on. We just push <laughs> Craig aside and carry on. Yes, exactly. But yes, and talking of which, um, Craig will be in doing Sunday lunch. Yes, after, he is. After us. And uh, we will be back next week. Sue, you're up on the Wirral. Off to a family wedding reception. You're off to a family wedding reception. But June and I will be here with more music and another guest. So we'll see you then. See you then. Yeah.